Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Christ is risen. Be seated. You're doing well. Keep it up. I haven't even had to tell you to do it again because you didn't do it loud enough. But I still reserve that right. If you would, please take your bulletins or your Bible and turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we continue uh, what we began on Monday, Thursday with Pastor Nick's sermon. We We continue with our exposition of this amazing, glorious psalm. What I'd like to do this morning is reread verses 1 and 2, or at least a portion of 2, and then I'd like to drop down to verse 19. So a 1 and a portion of 2, then down to 19 through the end of the chapter. Give your attention to the reading of God's most holy, infallible, inerrant, glorious word. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. You do not answer. Look down to verse 19. But you, O Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, I am that I am, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Now thus far, brothers and sisters, I have been reading from the English Standard Version. I want to now go to a different version for verse 21. I want to go to the New King James. So you'll have to pay attention because it's going to be different than what you see printed in your bulletin or in your ESV Bible. You ready? Verse 21, according to the New King James Version. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Back to the ESV, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I'll praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he hasn't despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. 
My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted or the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord Adonai to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That he has done it. Christ is risen. Amen. One of my favorite commentators tells the tales that are told of an English ship called the Flixton. The Flixton uh, was a ship, a steamship, during World War II. And tales are told of this British steamship going up, plying up the English Channel. And as it's plying up the English Channel, there's a sentinel. There's, a, there's someone who's looking ahead, watching the seas to see if the enemy might be near. And the sentinel begins to see some white water. And it's not just the regular waves. It's, it's, it's moving in a straight line. And it's, it's moving in the direction of the Flixton. And he recognizes it for what it was. It was a torpedo. So he turns and he cries out to the crew. He tries to give them warning because it looked like it was going to hit one side of the ship. He's trying to get them to the other side of the ship. But he realizes it's too late. They don't have time. Within seconds, the ship, the Flixton, will be blown to smithereens. They'll all be dead. But then something amazing Something suddenly happens. And it happens just a few yards from the Flixton. The torpedo's head raises just out of the water. And something was going on with the guidance mechanism. The guidance mechanism of the torpedo was going haywire. And the torpedo suddenly begins an arc. And it turns 180 degrees around and it heads back in the line it had followed, but this time in the opposite direction. And in just a few moments, it hits the submarine and the submarine sinks to the bottom of the English Channel. Miraculous. Miraculous. And this commentator said, that's What's happening with verse 21? We should hear verse 21 like that. It should strike us that way. It's a total reversal. It's a total about face. It's a total about face from the, from the lament, from the complaint, 
from the cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you, what does it say? First part of verse 2, you do not answer. What does the end of verse 21 say? You have answered me. You have answered me. Here is the startling, here is the amazing, the, 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 the guidance mechanism of the torpedo of Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21, not going wrong, but going perfectly right, going gloriously right, changing this psalm from being exclusively about the terror of the God-forsaken Christ suffering on our behalf to the rapturous joy of the God-delivered Christ, testifying of his victory secured for all of his people. It's the hinge of this entire psalm. You have answered me. Before he's crying out as priest, as sacrifice, hear me, O God, why have you forsaken me? And now, here's the hinge, you have answered me. It's glorious. It's the hinge upon which this prophetic, this inescapably messianic psalm turns. It's the psalm equivalent to Christ is risen. And why most modern translations muck it up, I don't know. It irks me. And, and, and as I told the nine o'clock congregation, uh, and, 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 I, and don't get me started on the King James. Because the King James talks about, instead of talking about the horns of, let's see, what does it say? The, the horns of the wild oxen? The King James says something about the horn of the unicorn. And I'm thinking, what? Of, of all the translations, the New King James Version, I think, gets it spot on. It ends with, you have answered me. And in Hebrew, that's one word. And guess what it means? You have answered me. Amazing, isn't it? It means you've answered me. Literally, you've answered me. And it's placed at the end of the verse to, to give emphasis. And no doubt to parallel with the end of the first line of verse 2. Same root verbs used there. You have answered me. Now, how did God answer him? How did the Father answer the Son? How did God answer the one who cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How? By raising him. Christ is risen. Christ is risen and so we know not only to hear Jesus as the priest in sacrifice who prays verses 1 through 21 but also to hear Jesus, the prophet, proclaiming verses 22 through 31. For the author of Hebrews himself tells us in chapter 2 that the one who is speaking, verse, verse 22 and following, is none other than Jesus. We have the very first lines. We know Jesus takes those lines upon himself on the cross and he says them. The author of Hebrews says he takes verse 22 and following and he says them. This psalm is the psalm of Jesus. 
You see, Psalm 22 isn't just a portrait about the death of Jesus. That's what we're familiar with. But it's a portrait of his resurrection too. And so I can imagine on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection, when, when he meets these two disciples that are distraught because Jesus is, has died and, and, and they don't know what, what it means for them now because their Messiah has died. You remember, he, he's walking along. They don't know it's him. And what does he do? He walks them through all the Old Testament, showing them how the Old Testament did what? Spoke pointed to him and I can imagine Jesus he said he as he's doing that wonderful lesson with them he says and oh by the way let's turn to Psalm 22 what does Psalm 22 say says that the Messiah would suffer would be forsaken but it also says what that the Messiah would be heard he'd be answered and he would live and he would proclaim I imagine Jesus took this psalm and taught them there. What's the message? What's the message he proclaims? On this side of the hinge, on the resurrection side of the hinge, what is the message that the prophet proclaims? That message is really simple and it's really glorious, all right? Here it is. If you look at verses 22 through 31, what's the message? The message is he commands the prophet, the the resurrected rejoicing prophet commands that his hearers worship and praise Yahweh. He commands them to seek Yahweh. He commands them to serve Yahweh. He commands them to worship Yahweh. He commands them to stand in awe of Yahweh. So much so, to be enthralled with him, so much so, then they cannot stop from worshiping him. And then he commands them to then go proclaim the righteousness of Yahweh. And what Jesus does, he then demands others to do. Notice the end of verse 22. I will praise you. Now he turns to others and he says, You who fear the Lord, you who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Drop down to verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And when I look at this simple, glorious message, I'm struck by two things. I'm struck, one, by its totality. You are commanded, we are commanded, those who hear Christ are commanded to seek Yahweh, to praise Yahweh, to worship Yahweh, to serve Yahweh, and to proclaim the righteousness of Yahweh. That includes the entirety of our lives. It's a total thing that this prophet, this resurrected rejoicing prophet, commands of us. But also notice it's a congregational thing. It's not something that, okay, it's just for you as an individual all by yourself. No. It's in the congregation that the prophet proclaims this. It's to his brothers, plural, that he proclaims this. Friends, recognize this. Christianity is not quietism. 
Christianity is not a hermit religion. Christianity isn't just something about what goes on in your head with those little gray cells and you keep it there. The world can tolerate Christianity if it's that. God won't. God won't. We've been living in an odd, odd, odd time. And I want to be careful. Christians know that we should seek to obey the civil magistrate. When the civil magistrate gives us lawful mandates, commands, laws. But we do not obey a civil magistrate that calls us to sin. And a civil magistrate has responsibility for the health of the citizens. And we understand that. And we've sought and we will seek to honor that. But brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a private religion. Too many magistrates know nothing about Christianity and some who know something about it hate Christ. And so they just assume you can do this thing privately at home. And we try when it's a danger. And we try to be loving to one another. And we try to be wise to one another. But brothers and sisters, you know Christianity is not an individual quietest sort of faith. We are called to gather for holy worship and proclamation. Right? And you know how hard it was to go week after week after week and not be able to do that. Why was it hard? Because you know what I'm saying is true. And because you know Christ is risen. I'll get off that soapbox and move from the what of what the prophet speaks to the whom. Who does he speak? Who does, who does the living, rejoicing prophet take his prophetic ministry to? To whom? And to whom does he send his messengers with the same message? You see it, don't you? In the first part of the song, forces were aligned against the Messiah, right? And as Pastor Nick said, those forces are, are called bulls and they're called dogs. Notice verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Now, Bashan was to the east of Israel. And so this is a reference to those foes who were outside of Israel. This is a reference to foreign foes. And as Christ is praying this on the cross, imagine the Romans. Okay? And then, as Pastor Nick said, Jesus, praying out this prayer, turns in verse 16 to speak of dogs. 
And don't think of the ones who jump up in your lap and they're nice and fuzzy and they're your pets and they're Fido and you, you, you walk them and all that sort of... No, think of wild dogs, scavenger dogs, dogs that will attack. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Notice that word, a company. That could be translated a congregation. The congregation of evildoers. So who is Jesus focusing upon when he speaks of dogs? He is focusing upon those members of the Old Testament covenant community who did not believe in him, who did not accept him as the Messiah. So around the cross, we have foreign foes and we have unbelieving members of the covenant community. That's on the first half of the psalm. That's on that side of the hinge. What about in the second half, on the other side of the hinge? On this side of the empty tomb, what do we see? Notice notice the reversed order. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my what? Brothers, in the midst of the what? Congregation, I'll praise you. And then he, he specifies it even more. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Who's he speaking to? All those Jews who would place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Jesus proclaims, he directs, has resurrected his rejoicing prophetic ministry to the congregation, to the assembly, to the called out ones who worship, who by grace fear Yahweh. Where did the church of the resurrected Jesus begin, brothers and sisters? In Jerusalem. Among whom? Christ's brothers. Remember Hebrews? I said Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews references this. He says there, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell. Here's a direct quote from Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That's where it starts. That's where the song starts. It starts in the congregation gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But did it stop there, brothers and sisters? No. Notice verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, O Gentile child of God, that's you. That's me. The resurrected, rejoicing, prophetic ministry of Jesus has been directed, praise be to God, to us as well. The message didn't stay in Jerusalem and Judea. It spread through Samaria and to where? The uttermost parts of the earth. What happens in the book of Acts? What happens there is everything that you see here in this psalm. Right? What's happening now through the Cochrans in England? 
What's happening now through the Van Dalens in Lithuania? What's happening now through the Witties in Spain? What's happening now through the Hornbacks in Belarus? What's happening now through our brothers and sisters in Kiev? What's happening now through our brother and sister Trey and Kiki Adams in Thailand? What's happening now through our brother Zishan Sadiq in Pakistan? What's happening now through you when you go out into this community and you speak of the righteousness of Yahweh? What's going on? This song. This song. There is no nation. There is no people group. There's no language group that Jesus' resurrected and rejoicing prophetic ministry won't go. So let's not get in the way. Instead, let's get in the train. Let's follow King Jesus in proclaiming the greatness of Yahweh. Jew and Gentile alike will seek We'll worship, we'll serve, we'll proclaim Yahweh. And notice, it's not not just a Jew-Gentile thing, as glorious as that is. It's also the poor and the prosperous. You see that? See that in the psalm? Notice, verse 26, the afflicted, the poor, they shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. Drop down to verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and what? Worship. Jew, Gentile, poor, prosperous. And there's one more, one more pairing. A dying generation and the generation's not yet born. Verse 29, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Those who are dying, the generation that are dying, among them there will be believers. But then notice verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That included us. Right? That included us. And guess what? It's going to, it includes the generation of little Silas Haddon Agudelo that I baptized this morning. And should the Lord tarry, it's going to include another generation to come. And another, and another, and another. People from every tribe, tongue, and generation shall what? Come to the Lord because of sovereign, glorious grace. Because of the rejoicing, resurrected, prophetic ministry of Jesus. For Christ is risen. Finally, why? Why? Why does Jesus direct his resurrected, rejoicing, prophetic ministry to command his brothers and the nations to seek, to worship, to serve, to proclaim the righteousness of Yahweh? Why? It's pretty simple. You know the answer already. Christ is risen. Because he, Jesus, was and is and will forever be alive. Because the Father answered. Verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred 
the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. In other words, brothers and sisters, the father didn't forever turn his face away from the maggot. You remember from Monday, Thursday, Jesus describes himself as a worm. And Brother Nick, Pastor Nick, said, don't think about curly little earthworms. He said, think about what? Maggots. The father would not forever turn his face away from the maggot, the worm. He delivered. He delivered him. Or as we used to sing on Easter, up from the grave he rose. You know, Jesus on the cross, his last words were what? It is finished. It is finished. What was finished? What was finished according to the Son of God? If you know your scriptures, you know what was finished was living the perfect life of perfect obedience unto God that we have failed to live and on our behalf and the full and complete bearing of the wrath of God for all the sins of all of God's people for all of time. What was finished? Giving us the perfect record we need and drinking the cup of God's wrath to its dregs so we wouldn't have to. Right? That's what was finished. Amen. Praise be. Glory to God. Glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Son said. It is finished. It is done. What did the Father say on Good Friday? Nothing. Silent. What did he say? Did he say anything on that long day of waiting that we call Holy Saturday? What did he say on Resurrection Sunday? My son, arise. 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 Or as Jesus puts it in Psalm 22, notice the very end, verse 30. Posterity shall serve him, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. What are they proclaiming? What about the righteousness? That he has done it. Jesus said it's finished on the cross. The Father in the resurrection of Jesus says it is finished. It's done. I accept all that he has done on behalf of my people. It's done. It's done. It's finished. The God of Israel, the Father, through the Son, the God-man Jesus, has done it. But let me be a little bit redundant to drive the point home. What is the it? Done what? 
everything necessary to turn you into a believer. Everything necessary to turn you into a seeker of Yahweh. Everything necessary to turn you in to a worshiper of the Almighty, a worshiper of Yahweh. Everything necessary to turn you into a proclaimer of the righteousness of Yahweh. Everything necessary so that you might be in union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Everything necessary so that when you confess sins by his grace because you've been convicted by his spirit, when you confess sins, you have your sins, every single one of them, past, present, future, forgiven. Everything necessary so that when you, by God's grace, by the gift of faith, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are judicially declared not guilty. And not only not guilty, righteous, perfect, holy. Everything necessary so that not only are you justified, but you are adopted. No longer orphans. You are a child of Almighty God. Everything necessary so that you are made a part of the glorious bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he loves from all eternity. Everything necessary so that you might be set apart, sanctified, dedicated as holy unto the Lord. So that your life changes and becomes more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything necessary that when you die, your spirit will go immediately into the presence of Almighty God perfected. Everything necessary so that on the day of resurrection, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend, your body will be raised, it will be perfected, it will be joined with your spirit to live with the Lord and proclaim the greatness and glories of the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Now I'm going to be like that commercial that says, but wait, there's more. Not only are we talking about your individual salvation, Jesus has done everything necessary so that the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. All the nations. But wait, there's more. He's done everything necessary so that all things will be made right. All things will be made right. Who's done this? The Lord, the King, the Father through Jesus, Jesus, priest, prophet, and King, the resurrected and rejoicing one. And this is what he says to you. You who fear the Lord, what? Praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, do what? Glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Let's pray.
What a glorious salvation. What a perfect, what a full salvation is found in you, O Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you were willing to be forsaken of the Father on our behalf. Thank you that as he heard you, you have proclaimed your glories and the glories of your gospel and the glories of Yahweh to your people Israel and now to the nations and to us. We don't deserve to be those who have such riches, and yet they are offered to us in you. So help us to receive them with gratitude in our hearts. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.